0: Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Light Through, episode 151 Why the U.S. Government Going After Google for Being a Monopoly is Not a Good Idea. Well, news just broke a few days ago that the U.S. Government and a bunch of Republican states joining the U.S. Government were pursuing antitrust action against Google, clearly the world's, and here in the United States, the leading search engine and the leader in lots of other online apps in our lives. And as soon as I heard that, I realized this in many ways was a replay of the US government going after Microsoft in the mid to late 1990s for pretty much the same thing. And I decided in my freedom of expression class at Fordham University last night to talk to the class about this for a little less than a half an hour. So I'm going to play that for you. Right now, you won't hear any of the students because I wanted to not have them in this recording to respect their privacy. But you will hear only me and my lecture about Google and the antitrust pursuit of Google and why I think it's such a bad idea. The Light on Light Through podcast. Okay, so. I hope you all read the article. If you didn't, I'll just briefly review uh, that article. It was published all over the place. It's now a few days old. News is moving so quickly in our world that things that happened this morning almost seem like old news. Um, but this is you know, an important thing. And the reason I emailed it to you is I wanted to spend a little time looking at that uh, with you uh, tonight. So th- the gist of that, is that the United States federal government and some number of states all of which have republican governors are starting antitrust lawsuits against Google on the grounds that a variety of things that Google is doing for example uh, if if you you know if you get a new iPhone you can if you want to but it takes some work to get out of using Google as your browser and search engine you know it comes right up that's the easy thing to do and a variety of other specific things like that that Google is monopolizing the search engine market and the the articles again you can look at it, had a chart and it shows you know the huge number was like over eighty percent there are different surveys, some of them show the nine over 90% of Google impact on searching. Over 90% of the search or 80% of the search engines that people use are Google or Google related, in contrast to the other ones, Yahoo and uh, Bing and so forth. So that that's what the basis of the lawsuit is. Significantly, no democratic state joined the lawsuit, but democratic uh spokespeople that is representatives from attorney generals, officers in democratically governed states, that is a democratic governor in the state, as we have here in New York with Andrew Cuomo, they said they were pursuing their own investigation of Google and they might well join into that uh, lawsuit. So let me, as always, start with uh, what my view is. And let me start in the most general way, just to lay my cards on the table so you understand where all this is coming from. And here's something I haven't really discussed in class before. You know that I'm by and large an absolutist when it comes to the First Amendment. And the reason why I say by and large is, you know, we have discussed that I, I don't think that it should be allowed information that let's say promotes drugs that can severely hurt or kill people. So uh, I think that the FTC and uh, the, the FDA and those government agencies are, are doing the right thing when they censor those kinds of communication. And this gets back to what I've been saying many, many times, you know, this old question, at least goes back to the 1950s, would you rather be red or dead meaning would you rather live in a slave state or would you rather be dead than live in a slave state? Ever since I was a kid and heard that, I frankly thought that was a dumb question because to me the answer was obvious. Absolutely, I'd rather be red than dead. The reason being, if you're red and alive, you can become unred, un-R-E-D, and that is free and alive. Whereas if you choose that you'd rather be dead than if you're dead, you have nothing, you can't do anything else. And in fact, that's what totalitarian societies want of their opponents and enemies. So the reason why I'm saying that is, as I've mentioned already in this class, and I'm sure I will mentioned from time to time, the one value that I put above freedom is life itself. And so, although I don't like to see the government restrict any kind of communication, I am all in favor of the government restricting communication that can directly cause people to die or even severely injure them. So that's my view regarding the First Amendment, which you already know. But let me also now share with you my overall political view so you can see where I'm coming from about anti-monopoly legislation and legislation against Google. People often ask me, so are you a libertarian because you believe so strongly in the First Amendment and you, you think the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, should be banned? And, you know, so I've thought about this for a while and actually I've been thinking about it for decades. And I don't know, I guess around uh, the time, yeah, it was back in 2008, and I can send you a link to it. I I published a blog post saying, I am a progressive libertarian. So here's what that means in plain English, just so you understand. I think governments are necessary. I think governments are necessary because we need governments to do certain things. And among the things I think we need governments to do is to provide health care for everyone in the country. You know, everybody thinks if we have governments at all, we need to have military to protect us from foreign invasions, well, you know, being killed by a microbe leaves you just as dead as being killed by an enemy soldier. So uh, I, I think that the government should spend a lot of money on trying to keep people as healthy as possible. That helps everything, including the economy. By the way, on that point, just a brief recommendation, an historian. I, I'm not sure if he's still alive. Maybe he may have died a year or two or three ago. Anyway, his name is William McNeil, and he wrote a book called Plagues and Peoples. and uh, he, And he also wrote another book called The Pursuit of Power. And in both of those books, Plagues and Peoples and The Pursuit of Power, William McNeil, he wrote those books, I think, back in the early 1980s, late 1970s, makes the point that human beings face two kinds of invaders. Macro invaders, which are other human beings, and micro invaders, which are obviously bacteria and viruses. So my view that the government needs to protect us against both invaders comes from William McNeil's point. But when it comes to corporations and when it comes to corporate power, there are a lot of people, and I assume many of you, maybe even most of you, maybe even all of you in this class, think that corporations have too much power and the government needs to do what it can to limit and restrict that power including breaking up big corporations and making sure no corporation dominates the market. The first I encountered this issue was in the mid-1990s. And actually, uh, one of the things I'll do after class tonight, in addition to sending you a link to I'm um, a progressive libertarian, that blog post, I'm going to send you also a link to an article I have published in a now-defunct Uh, magazine called the industry standard. And I can't remember what the title of the article was that I came up with, but they published the article under the title of leave poor Microsoft alone. And basically that article that I wrote was in response to the US government saying it was going to pursue anti-monopoly actions against Microsoft in the 1990s because Microsoft was dominating the home computer market. And in that article, I outlined some of the points I'm going to make to you in a minute. But one of the main points I made in the article, which still holds true, is we don't need the government to outlaw or restrict anything, because media evolution will take care of that itself. And what do I mean by media evolution? Well, yet another thing, I, you're, you don't have to read the whole book. I'll send you a link. You can just, you know, read the blurb for it. Back a long, long time ago, when I uh, completed my doctoral dissertation, it, it was a it was at NYU, New York University, and it was a theory of the evolution of media. And to make a long story short, it said, the theory that I came up with, that we human beings control the evolution of media. They don't evolve on their own. If we like something, then it continues. If we don't like something, then it doesn't continue. And we're really good at selecting what works for us and what doesn't work for us. And one of the things that was clear to me back then, once upon a time, the only photography was black and white photography. And then color photography was invented. Well, we still have black and white photography now that people can use for artistic purposes. But for the most part, photography now is color photography, just like we're all seeing each other now in color. And it, to me, it's not at all surprising that that happened because human beings chose the kind of photography that they like best. So when the government in the mid-90s was wringing its hands about Microsoft, I said in this article, stop worrying so much. You know, if people don't like the limited choices that Microsoft is giving them, they'll choose something else. And a little did I know that at that very moment when I was writing the article, Apple had rehired Steve Jobs, who had helped start Apple in the first place about 15 years earlier, and then he left Apple. And Steve Jobs was rehired, and they were pursuing a vigorous relaunch, which resulted in iPods, and eventually in iPhones, and uh, iTunes, and all these i-things. And so within five years of the government worrying that Microsoft would have a monopoly, the government didn't have to worry anymore about that because Apple had already claimed a larger portion of the market than Microsoft had when the government was so worried. And in fact, today, Apple still, by and large, has a bigger share of the market than Microsoft, although Microsoft has a significant share of the market. So the reason that I don't think we need the government to be involved in regulating media and an antitrust suit is because I think human selection works out those problems. But there's also a second reason. And you know, you've heard me say this many times. And uh, you know, if I have to have a theme, you know, just a phrase for this course, a tagline, It would be, thank you, Donald Trump, for giving me so much good material. And the reason why I say that is, back in the 1990s, when I was arguing that the government, which in those days was Bill Clinton, should keep its hands off Microsoft, whatever you might think of Bill Clinton, you know, I had mixed feelings about him. I I mentioned previously to the class the Communications Decency Act that he signed into law. I didn't like that at all. But Bill Clinton is an angel compared to what Donald Trump has been doing and is trying to do. So unfortunately for the United States, for the human beings like us who live here, and because the world is interconnected, unfortunately for the world, But fortunately, only because it makes my point easier to vividly illustrate. Donald Trump has provided a prime reason of why I don't like seeing the government control any aspect of our lives. Because if we have a president like Obama, or even Clinton, or even George W. Bush, or even Ronald Reagan, Or even George H.W. Bush. And as we were talking in this class, even Herbert Hoover. Yeah, these people were imperfect, but they didn't use the, the the powers of government to further their own political agenda. And before I go even a little further on this, let me just make another point, which is one of the reasons why you know I have this political perspective, if you think about it, there's a total of one part of our society that has the right to drag a person off the street at gunpoint, get that person locked up, and then, yeah, there has to be a trial, put that person in prison. It is not any corporation. The worst that any corporation can do is haul another company or a person into civil court, which is no joy. No, you know, it's no fun being sued in a civil court. And, you know, the civil court decision could say they're fining you a million dollars. I mean, that, that's you know, horrible. But they can't throw you in prison. They can't come after you with a gun. If any corporation or any representative of a corporation ever went after anyone else with a gun, that person with the gun would be arrested, and that corporation would be in very serious criminal trouble. So this is why I am, if anything, even more concerned now. Here's what we've seen from the Trump administration. And again, some of this happened in the last few weeks. We've seen Trump, I don't know how many of you saw this and again there are so many things going on it's hard to keep up with everything and i can't even recall exactly when this happened definitely sometime in the past three weeks it it started earlier than that there was a demonstration in portland and someone shot to death a trump supporter And and part of that was recorded on video and the portland police were looking into that And they weren't looking into it fast enough to satisfy Trump and his supporters. So the next thing that happened is, everybody knew who the shooter was. The Portland police were just conducting an investigation. The next thing that happened was the shooter was shot dead in his home, and to this day, no one knows exactly why. The federal agents who shot this guy dead say the guy pulled the gun on them. There's no proof other than their word that that's what happened. And people on the other side saying, in their view, this guy was just assassinated. That is, he wasn't arrested. He wasn't brought to trial. He was just shot by a group of federal agents who raided his home. So again, to say the least, I'm very sorry that happened. It proves my point. This is a power that only the government has. If any corporation had done that, you could rest assured those people right now would be arrested and they'd be brought up on trial. That still might happen if Trump loses the election. Trump, by the way, has bragged about this. That basically he said, Well, you know, the Portland mayor, who's a Democrat, wasn't doing anything about this guy who killed the Trump supporter. So I did something about it. I sent some people in. So that's what my concern is regarding the government. Last point I'll make about this, and then I want to hear from you why I'm so wrong about part of all of this. Why has the federal government gone after Google. Now, there's no doubt that Google dominates the market. But to me, it's pretty obvious. It didn't happen that long ago that Trump went after TikTok. We talked about that in this class. It now seems like ancient history. Trump has a policy of thickening the agencies of the federal government against anything else in the United States that in any way crosses him or is critical of him. And Trump deeply resents that when you Google Trump, you come up with all kinds of things that, to say the least, are not very flattering to Trump. Trump would like Google to filter that out. Why should Google filter that out? I mean, if they're true, what what do you want from Google? So, I don't know, I can't creep into Trump's head. I think that's a reasonable assumption. He he didn't get very far with TikTok and he still wants to punish the media for in his view giving such a an outrageously unfair series of communications against him, and Google is right there uh, doing that. One last point I'll just make, you know, I guess a sort of, you know, personal proviso. I, in general, like Google because its it's been very helpful and, you know, as students you, you know, can avail yourself of this it has made research much, much easier. There was a time if you wanted to see what was inside a book, you had to haul yourself to a library. Nowadays, of course, in the age of COVID, that's not even that safe a thing to do. But Google has now for over 20 years been making it far more easier to search on people, search for authors, search on ideas, The first time I realized how valuable that was, I always like telling this story. This is the last story I'll tell before I go to you. This goes back to the 1980s when I was writing my first book after my doctoral dissertation. It was published by J.A.I. Press called Mind at Large, Knowing in the Technological Age. And it's basically a philosophy book about communications media. Anyway, J.A.I. Press, Back then, I think they were bought out by a European company, so I don't know where they are now. But back then, uh, they had offices in Greenwich, Connecticut. And I was uh, living with my wife and kids in the Bronx. And to make a long, long story short, whatever this day was, let's say it's, it was Friday, and it, and it was Thursday, and I had to, on Friday, get any final... Corrections or missing things into the publisher's hands. Otherwise, the publisher's going to go ahead and publish the book, even if there was an error or some missing things in there. So, you know how earlier today I was criticizing some of you for getting your videos in too late? Well, you know, just like Trump, I tend to criticize people for things I do myself that aren't the greatest. So I had like weeks to go over the manuscript and I did, you know, to some extent, but on that day before I was supposed to go up early the next morning to hand the manuscript in to JI Press, I I just didn't get around to doing it until it was about five or six o'clock in the evening and I was sure that everything was okay. It was just a once over. And I was reading through the book very carefully and by about 10 o'clock in the evening, I discovered that there was a reference that I had that was incorrect in the book. 10 o'clock in the evening, I have to go up to the publisher first thing the next morning, not the afternoon, first thing in the morning, they needed it then, I had already asked for an extension. So I looked through all of my notes, I just did not have any information on the book. And then I realized, wait a second, I'm an NYU graduate. I got both my BA, my PhD at NYU. I had vaguely remembered hearing that NYU was putting its library, the Bobst Library, which still exists, online. And that alumni could get in and see that library. So it was once again about two o'clock in the morning. That seems to be a favorite time for me. And, uh, I managed to log on, you know, I had the right credentials into the BULPS catalog and a little after two o'clock in the morning, I said, ah, okay, here's the correct reference. I put it into my book, got up early the next morning, drove it up to Greenwich, Connecticut. And, you know, the publisher was happy and I was happy because it wasn't published with this incorrect information. The reason I'm mentioning that is you don't have to do that anymore google has made it very easy to do that anytime so this is sort of like a personal admission yet another reason why i'm against any of these actions against google is i think google has been a great boon to the intellectual scholarly environment by making information much much easier to access so for all of those reasons i am opposed to what the U.S. government, joined at this point by X number of Republican states, some Democratic states are working on this as well. I'm opposed to all of it. I think they should leave Google alone. Is it the most important issue that we should focus on now? No. There's a far more important issue, which is Trump himself and the re-election Of Trump, which I think would be the most damaging thing that has ever happened to our democracy. The Light on Light Through podcast. Well, I hope you found that lecture of value. If you want to read, by the way, any of the articles and publications that I mentioned in that lecture, you can find links to all of them on the podcast site, Light On, Light Through, L-I-G-H-T-O-N-L-I-G-H-T-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com. So you'll find links to all of those articles and books on the page for this podcast episode. And I'll be back here soon, of course, with another episode of Light on Light Through. Could be another political talk. Could be another review of a great science fiction show. Who knows? In the meantime, stay safe and enjoy. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at ThePlotToSaveSocrates.com. Paul Levinson's Silk Code, about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries.